You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the It's Always Draft Season podcast, part of the Packernet Podcast Network. Jake Schwink here, and this week, uh, based on some scheduling stuff and uh, maybe a little bit of not quite responsible planning, uh, it is just me this week. Mason will be back with us next week. But for this Friday show, it's just going to be me, and so we kind of got a contingency plan, but in the works for the next couple weeks, we'll have obviously positional draft previews and whatnot, and... We'll also kind of dive into what we call the Leap Show, which we'll kind of talk about next week. But this week, I thought we would just kind of maybe look back a little bit and not not at our not at our redrafts. But if you enjoyed that um, and you want to look back on those, that's always a fun thing to do. We had a good time with that if you missed those. But I thought this week we would kind of just look at the NFL draft as a whole and kind of what the past several NFL drafts have kind of taught us and obviously you know you can go to the main points of all these and kind of be like oh well yeah I mean this is it's still a lottery right and you still don't always know what you're going to get in the NFL draft and and that's been very clear just I mean if you look at the top tens of of previous drafts right you you look at players like Mitchell Trubisky and Solomon Thomas who were picked in the 2017 draft in the top five right and and neither have really amounted to anywhere near you know, that billing, right? And and three receivers who went top 10 in that draft, Corey Davis, Mike Williams, and John Ross, right? Like, it's still very much a lottery. And we'll get to kind of the day two receiver picks because there's a little bit of a segment on that. But like, just think about the quarterback class, right? With 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 Baker Mayfield, Josh Rosen, and, and Sam Darnold all being top 10 selections in 2018, right? Like, so it's, we, we know that the whole lottery thing is, is real with, with the draft in general. But I do think, and scheme fit matters, obviously. That's that's another big part of it, right? If, if you don't have – if you have a receiver who, you know, you're going to an offense that's predicated on a lot of, yeah, I need to create separation by myself. This is a timing offense. I have to understand coverage. I have to do a lot of mental processing stuff. You know, post-snap, like for a player who's, you know, this, this raw player who wins at the catch point or wins after the catch and doesn't do a lot before, that's going to be, you know, a difficult transition than one that, you know, didn't work out. And that, of course, if, if you know who I'm talking about, that's that's – kind of Nikhil Harry uh, with the Patriots. So, but like, obviously stuff like that matters. And of course th- there's always, you know, even though for some of us entrenched in draft media, right. And are able to like talk to players at the senior bowl, talk to players a little bit or, or go to the interviews at the combine. Like we still don't always have the full picture. Right. And so you have the character concerns, the medical concerns, some of the stuff that doesn't come out until like right before the draft or during the draft, like, Oh, we finally understand why this person's sliding. Right. Like, so and and they don't even come out even potentially until you know years later. So 
just it's obviously those things are obvious and that's kind of things that you continue to learn and and you know the NFL draft is ever evolving the process is ever evolving scouting is ever evolving right so you know it's never going to be this this perfect science or art uh in this field so but I do think there's some things like the past five to six years and I'm starting with 2017 because that's kind of when I really started putting the, the pedal to the metal on this kind of stuff and just you know, di- was diving in a lot more um, in general. So that's kind of where I'm going to start with this is back in, in, in 2017. Um, and I figured, why don't we kind of start at quarterback? And and it's, you know, we kind of mentioned a few guys earlier, uh, a couple minutes ago, but just from the quarterback class, and you look at like 2017 to 2019, right? You have your guys, you know, Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, who you know, had a lot of these tools, right? And it was kind of like, oh, there's just needs refinement needed or because, because Patrick Mahomes, he was loaded with arm talent, arm strength, you know, playmaking ability. He could, he could throw on the run and like, just, they're just wild throws that he made at Texas tech that you would just not tell your quarterbacks to, to make. And obviously he put on that show with Baker Mayfield uh, in, in that game um in Mahomes' final season that was it was unbelievable right it just it was a stat a statistician's dream really and so like you you see all that right and Deshaun Watson I mean he had it like there was that it factor to him right the clutch gene you could say there were some turnovers that a lot of people were were kind of thinking about a little bit in his last in his second to last season at Clemson but cleaned it up was really just a gamer athleticism throw on the run he just he had some poise to him Right, and so th- these kind of gamers who could be playmakers out of the pocket and do things out of structure that didn't always have to be, you know, these these rigid guys who could move throughout the pocket, right? That kind of started it a, a little bit with the tools, and then obviously Josh Allen coming the next year in in 2018 was this very toolsy, had just an absurd arm, you know, the arm strength that you would just watch him throw 40 yards on the line, and and you would just be astounded. Obviously, there were accuracy issues. He had to clean up, you know, being able to throw with touch and, and kind of not just throw these 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 fastballs everywhere, right? He had to be fine-tuned, but there was athleticism. There was playmaking ability, right? And, and you see that show up in the game. Lamar Jackson, same way. Obviously, a lot of people tabbed him as a runner pretty much unfairly. Uh, there was some definite, you know, issues with outside the number throws, but I do think he was very rhythmic with with, with quick game. I think he stood in the pocket very well. He could climb the pocket. He could make throws, you know, layer them over the middle of the field, intermediate and deep. So I, I don't think the, the criticisms were very accurate with him, but still that was another, he had a lot of tools to work with, especially as a runner, especially with that athleticism that, you know, you could run a lot of play action. You could move pockets for him, right, to give him some reads that, that make him feel comfortable. And then obviously in 2019, you look at a guy like Kyler Murray, who had you know, a, a very, very good arm in his own right, right? And the playmaking ability could run as well. And, and th- that's kind of what he's been asked to do in Arizona, right? He's, he's kind of been like, oh, just go make the play yourself, you know? And that's definitely something where, you know, you look at guys like this and the toolsy players have really kind of taken over. And you, you look at, offenses now and they're so much more tailored to to the quarterbacks so they don't have to be these rigid rhythmic pocket types right and and kind of I mean 
Rodgers, obviously, you know, for this Packer fans and this being a Packer podcast network, like he, he kind of broke that mold a little bit that everything has to be in the pocket, right? So, I mean, he's Murray's got something to prove, but again, he was part of that tools as well. I do think, though, we got kind of very engrossed with the tools and maybe kind of forgot like, oh, these guys that can really identify things pre-snap and, and post-snap as well to be able to you know be either proactive or reactive. And you talk about two of the greats who kind of did that, right? Peyton Manning was very proactive. He could tell a lot of what was going on pre-snap. He made a lot of adjustments to, to get, you know, the right look against the right coverage that he knew was being called against him, right? And then you got Tom Brady, who was very reactive and was able to kind of decipher what was happening with with spot drops and zones or what coverage was being rotated post-snap. Like, he was very reactive but very good at that. So we kind of got away from the quarterbacks who could do that, you know? And that brings me, I think, to obviously Joe Burrow is one of those guys that we're going to kind of talk about here from the 2020 class because he was very good at that but everybody pretty much I think 99% of the of the scouting community was pretty much in on Joe Burrow right that rise with LSU just again another guy with the gamer mentality but also was was pocket maneuverability it was you know just dissecting defenses left and right and obviously had a lot of talent around him too and that was maybe maybe the concern but he was in that in that vein of the player right and Obviously, Justin Herbert has definitely worked out with all the tools that he brings to the table, but he's also a very smart, smart player as well, and that has showed up a ton with the Chargers. And then came along, obviously, the 2021 class where it was like, wow, this is like tools upon tools upon all these incredible physical traits with a lot of these guys with Lawrence Fields, Wilson, Lance, and then kind of Mac Jones was almost the forgotten guy because it was like, oh, he's at Bama. He's got Waddle. He's got Devonta Smith. He's got Mechie. Like, he has all these guys. He has Najee Harris as well. Like, he thought, oh, this is just, he's surrounded well. Kind of like Tua Tungavailoa was the year before. And so we kind of maybe overlooked that a little bit. And Mac Jones is clearly a smart player. And he showed that with the Patriots, that he was able to pick up an Earhart Perkins system that, you know, Belichick and Josh McDaniels had kind of put before him that, you know, this is a lot of timing. There are option routes here. This is a lot of option routes are based on the coverage, reading coverage for the receivers, the tight ends. And you kind of have to pick up on that as well, you know, and be reactive. And that's kind of obviously where, where Brady hit his stride, right? And and Mac Jones, I thought, handled it really well. Obviously, the blitz and his arm strength kind of sometimes got him into bad spots. But overall, like, we've kind of you know, pushed away some of the guys that don't have the tools and kind of have fallen in love with the tools. So I think that's, it's, we almost overcorrected a little bit too much when this started happening. So I think it's, it's kind of, and we're going to see it this year, right? And you, you guys know about CJ Stroud, about Bryce Young, like we're going to, we're going to see these two guys be put on the pedestal early. Stroud, very much the scientist. He's the processor. He doesn't make a lot of stuff happen you know, outside the pocket. He's very maneuverable. He dissects things. He's got great touch. His, his precision is, is astounding. It's great. Like, and then you have the Bryce Young gamer toolsy. I'm going to run around. I can, you know, make plays that's, that some others can't on the run, you know, got the arm strength. So it's very much a, a contrasting of styles that I would like to see those two kind of adapt to the other style a little bit this season. And I think we'll talk about that more. I kind of did talk about that on a piece at risendraft.com if you want to check that out. But 
so yeah, the quarterback position is, is just a tough one to figure out, right? And we just, even as much as like we are learning, right, as as people who cover the draft, right, we are learning, you know, concepts, we are learning what quarterbacks progressions look like, you know, we can get that knowledge to a fault. But I do think there are some guys, we are still in the 99% that really don't have this down. So it makes it a lot more difficult to scout that position because you are you are looking at everything. You can't just isolate, you know, one-on-ones with pass protection. You know, looking at the edge rusher, looking at the tackle, right? And I mean, you can obviously, you know, understand more about, you know, what defenses are doing and what offensive line has to do as a unit. But the quarterback position is just is everything. So it makes it a lot more difficult, right? To to understand as a whole, and and it's something that we're just going to have to keep learning and learning and learning to the point where, you know, even still we are going to miss at scouting these guys. So it's, but it's an interesting kind of dynamic to see what has really shifted. But I do think, you know, as much as tools are important and physical traits are, I, I the mental game, decision-making, you know, making quick reads on time and, and working to, you know, backside, of the play to find the open man like that's important and we can't lose sight of that just because this guy is is just a really good playmaker so another thing that we've kind of looked at and it's just something i've wanted to keep track of because somebody brought it up recently but late risers in the process you know they've they've put their film out and maybe we haven't necessarily gotten to their film just yet right we may not have gotten to everybody by the time the pre-draft process has started, and that's very fair. College film doesn't always come out that that early, right, for those who use it. Um, so you get the guys who go to the Senior Bowl, and they have you know these excellent weeks down at the Senior Bowl where they're just dominating one-on-one competition. You have guys who go to the Combine. They are fantastic. You know, they're, they're acing all these tests. They're looking good running in what many call the Underwear Olympics, right? Ooh, this guy ran a great 40. We're in great shape. This guy tested a 100th percentile athlete. We didn't really talk much about him before this, but now we have to. He's jumping up the boards. Right? Or this guy interviewed well late in the process. Like those are a little bit that one may be a little bit less of a, a, a riser thing than the others, but again, you go to pro days and you get these kind of late rises out of some players. So I've kind of looked back and kind of tried to go through some of them from each class, and then I'll kind of give some in, from 2022 as well. But you look at maybe 2017 and when John Ross ran that 4-2-2, 40, right? And this was still a small receiver, right? I believe he's under, I think he's under 5'10 and around 180 pounds. And this guy runs a 4-2-2 and he ends up going top 10. And I do think that obviously played a major part in that, right? Just never found footing in Cincinnati, right? So he goes top 10. Hassan Reddick was definitely a senior bowl guy who kind of showed up. And a lot of people obviously really liked what he put put on the field in that week of practice. And he ends up going top 15. Now part of this could be the Cardinals not using him in the right spot. He's obviously gained some traction. has been a late bloomer uh, with the Panthers and now going over to Philadelphia but just an interesting one, right? Like Obi Melifonwu. Do we even remember this guy? I wonder how many remember him because he was another one who was like, wow, what a combine this guy had. Where do we play him with as big as he is and as fast as he is? Do we play him at safety? Do we try him at corner? You know, it was it was very much a, a lot of people were trying to figure that out with, with Melifonwu. 
he ends up going 56th overall. All tools, all athleticism, but he goes in the top two rounds, right? Then you look at a guy like Forrest Lamp, who in Senior Bowl Combine, you know, got a lot of headlines from that in the pre-draft process. Goes, I believe, top, yeah, he goes top 40 to the Chargers. And that was kind of a big name throughout the process that everybody was kind of really excited about. Interior offensive lineman, like has an awesome name, right? Like this is a really exciting player that we're excited to see and just just never found it, right? And that was a guy who came on late late in the process. Uh, Tano Passignon, uh, if anybody remembers him, was drafted by the Chiefs top 60. He was another guy at the Senior Bowl. Who a lot of people were like, oh, the length, the athleticism. This is a guy we got to go check out. He ends up going the top two rounds. Really has been more of a role player than anything. Larry Ogunjobi was a Senior Bowl guy. He went uh, 65th to the Browns that year in 2017. Like he he was he was he's been solid, but again, it's it's a late riser type that again he maybe have has played more up to his billing at 65th than than anybody else. But finally, Zay Jones, a standout of the Senior Bowl, caught a touchdown. Really cool body control. Uh, they didn't give it to him because they don't do replay, so the refs missed it, but had a big day there uh, to finish out his week. Goes top 40 and really didn't find it until, you know, maybe even the last couple seasons, even last season with the Raiders, and now he's going to Jacksonville. Like, this is still a late bloomer. Like, it was, wow, he did this on air really well. He did this good against vanilla defenses, but the NFL was a different animal for him. 2018, I do remember a few, one of which definitely panned out, but Marcus Davenport was really like this very toolsy athletic project at the position. He ends up going top 15. New Orleans traded up to get him. A lot of people thought it was Lamar Jackson. Probably should have been. Saints would be in a really good place with Lamar Jackson, but Will Hernandez was very much that attitude, that physicality, almost to the level, not quite to the level of Trevor Penning this past year, but definitely brought that to the table and he ends up not really finding it with the Giants he, he went top 40 as well Dallas Goddard was a late find uh as a small school tight end tested well and you've seen him you know become a very good focal point for the Eagles so that pans out Deshaun Hamilton from Penn State was a route running savant down at the senior bowl dusted everybody all week long got buried in the depth chart at Denver right couldn't find, you know, a way to become really a full-time starter. Uh, 2019, there were a few names. Uh, Montez Sweat from the Senior Bowl just showing up. He kind of won, like, the off-the-bus award, basically, with the, with the size, the length, and the athleticism. Played very well that week. Did well at the Combine. Ran ridiculously fast 40. Ends up going in the first round. Washington trades up. A long way from in the 40s to 26, I believe, with Indianapolis. And really, again, hasn't been really the guy on the edge. Like Chase Young is obviously supposed to be the better player. Deron Payne, right? Uh, John Allen. Like he's really, he was, he's been the fourth guy in that line. And obviously all of them were first rounders, but he really hasn't lived up to that billing. Uh, Jerry Tillery kind of boosted. He got into the first round. He's just really been pass rush only. Uh, hasn't been really an early down, you know, stalwart at all. Uh, Lonnie Johnson was a good tester that year. Was a physical player at the Senior Bowl. Ends up going the second round of the Texans. Really didn't find anything there. So 
you know, there's a lot of these guys. And obviously, and in 19, Terry McLaurin had a really good senior bowl. Everybody turned on the tape. He was very, very good. You know, it was like, oh, is he too, he was just buried on the depth chart. Like, but then a lot of people were like, well, if he shouldn't have been buried on the depth chart if he's so good. Like, assuming college teams know everything. He, he panned out very, very well, right? So there's always guys that rise that pan out very well. But it's just, it's very interesting to see, like, some names that kind of did this, right? So you go to 2020 really quick. You look at Kyle Duggar and Jeremy Chin, the two small school safeties, kind of hybrid players down at the Senior Bowl. Everybody kind of got their first look with those two guys. Duggar went top 40. Chin went uh, late second round. So, you know, Chase Claypool was a big-time tester down, you know, at the Combine. Donovan Peoples-Jones was as well. You know, you get guys like that. Denzel Mims really caught fire at the Senior Bowl. A lot of people said, yeah, this is the best senior receiver. He really hasn't been. Brandon Ayuk has been better than him to this point. Ezra Cleveland was really the, oh, this guy's athleticism is off the charts. Very toolsy tackle. Has moved inside to guard. He's up. All accounts played solid. Um, but definitely not up to the building. You look at, like, players with that athleticism who have played tackle before. And it's just interesting to write down a few guys from 2021. We still don't know about these guys yet. You know, Zayvon Collins, Jamin Davis, Odafe Owe were kind of those late risers. So just to think about some of these guys, though, for 2022 and just kind of put this in your mind of like, okay, these were some late risers. I feel like Jermaine Johnson caught fire more at the Senior Bowl because of how dominant he was. It wasn't that he wasn't necessarily a first-round pick yet. He was more of a late first-round guy. He ended up going late first round. But in the media's eyes, he really rose to like, oh, could this guy go top 10? So that's interesting that the media kind of took of that and the NFL didn't. Travis Jones had a big week down there. Uh, a lot of people think Trevor Penning had a big week down there. I don't think he did at all. I think he got pushed around by 220-pound you know, linebacker hybrid kind of Sam Jack type of rushers. Um, Christian Watson showed off the lower body flexibility there. Obviously, he was definitely like as we forget about this stuff, but like Christian Watson was definitely like this late second, like even late third almost prospect at that point entering senior bowl week and ends up doing very, very well down there. Lower body flexibility looks excellent. He was able to be a separator down there. Didn't do very well to catch point. We obviously knew that that was a thing with him though. Uh, boy, Mafe was another that did well down there. Then you look at the combine, like Trayvon Walker testing out of his mind, right? Like that was his real chance to show like, yeah, I'm I'm this, I can be this good. I'm toolsy. You know, I've played all over the place. That's why my production wasn't very good. So that's, that's, you know, his claim. And, and he obviously rode that to being the first overall pick. Tyquan Thornton running super fast with a guy like at that size at 6'2", 180, right? For Baylor. Ends up going in the second round of the Patriots. Um, Zion McCollum and Tariq Woolen were workout warriors, but small school guys. They didn't go till day three. So that'll be interesting to see what those two Greg Dulcich and Jelani Woods definitely benefited from the combine a lot. Dulcich runs well. Daniel Jeremiah was hyping this guy up ahead of the combine. I think a lot of people started moving him up after that. Jelani Woods tests out of his mind. I believe he was 100th percentile at the position. Um, and that's that's overall. That's not just this draft class. So, like, those two guys rode that wave. Both go day two. So, those are just interesting names to kind of think about when you're looking at you know, the position and, and just positions and, and late risers in general, like that's just something to kind of monitor, you know, who are the late risers and do the late risers really pan out rather than these guys who are like, okay, we kind of know what this guy is, you know, he's shown it like this is stamp this guy in the first. So it's just interesting, you know, we're going to take, I believe a short break here and we will 
be right back with some more stuff that kind of just look at um, throughout the uh, draft the last few years. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, back here with It's Always Draft Season, talking about the last several years of the NFL Draft, what we've learned. I want to talk about the wide receiver position. It's obviously one of my favorites to scout, to look at, and I just love all the the intricacies of that position when it starts at the line of scrimmage with your release and footwork, just using all of your body to kind of set up moves, set up moves um, you know, further down the line in the game. Like there's just so much of a chess match outside again with wide receivers and defensive backs. So I just love the position, right? So it's interesting to see where the wide receiver sweet spot has kind of moved, where hits have been, where teams are willing to take these guys, right? So if you look at 2017, and we kind of talked about the the Corey Davis, Mike Williams, John Ross trio, that kind of has been pretty meh. Corey Davis has turned out okay. Ross has not. Mike Williams has really hit his stride with Justin Herbert. So just very interesting there. But day two was the sweet spot in this draft class, right? You're getting Juju Smith-Schuster at pick 62, who has who did very well his first couple of years, battled some injuries in Pittsburgh. Now he's going to get a real opportunity in Kansas City to be kind of the de facto maybe 1B, you could say, with, with a bunch of others, just kind of a good group overall. But he could be that kind of chain-moving type in the slot. Then you get, you know, Cooper Cup, pick 69, like, He's been phenomenal. He burst on the scene, wide receiver triple crown last year. You get Chris Godwin at pick 84, 
who's been very, very good. And you get Kenny Galladay, who's really good in Detroit. Obviously signed a big deal with the Giants, missed last year, but he got him at pick 96. So that was kind of more of the sweet spot. You could say maybe Williams is better than Galladay. I would tend to agree with that. But good picks on day two at the position, right? 2018 was a little bit more spread out. Um, you had your kind of two main guys that a lot of people, you know, it was pounding the table for one or the other, Calvin Ridley or DJ Moore, both go in the first round, both were hits, I think, in my opinion. Cortland Sutton, I think you could say, has a little bit to prove. He was a top 40 pick, though. I think he becomes a hit. Uh, this year, obviously, now Tim Patrick's out. This will be kind of his his room to command. Um, and then, you know, you have Michael Gallup go 81st, and that was, you know, that's that's been, he's been very, very good as well. That's definitely a hit there too um yeah i mean and then it kind of was really interesting 2019 obviously was the real alpha chad class at the position definitely a day two hit across the board really i mean there were obviously a lot of receivers that went on day two in this class you know you could talk about the the paris campbells the miko hardmans the jj arcego white sides but also you get Deep between between picks 35 and 75, you're getting Debo Samuel, AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, Deontay Johnson, Terry McLaurin. I mean, a lot of these guys have just recently gotten deals. Uh, AJ Brown got his uh, during the draft. DK and Debo, um, both a, a little over a week ago, or not even a week ago, of uh. In the last week, McLaurin a, a week, a little over a week ago, and now Deontay this week. So they're all getting their major deals. Obviously, Hollywood Brown, he hasn't gotten a deal yet, though. He's actually been traded. So he was obviously a first-round pick. Nikhil Harry was in that class. But day two at that position produced a lot of alpha wide receiver ones. Did that flip the switch at the position? I think it maybe did. Now, obviously, I think we can kind of say that wide receiver classes are probably going to be really talented. The rest, you know till probably the end of time, you know, just because you, you see the talent level keep going up. But I also think maybe that was when teams started realizing, like, listen, the passing game is this important analytically. Let's keep throwing, right? So you get that. And 2020, obviously a big move into the first round with a lot of these hits, right? You got CeeDee Lamb and Justin Jefferson. Of course, those two guys, Jefferson, elite player, CeeDee Lamb, I think will reach that this season. Then you're getting, you know, your misses in the first, Ruggs and Rager, Judy and Ayu kind of still got to prove it. But this is kind of where that that hit rate was. You know, you got your your, your Darnell Mooney. Even at with, with T. Higgins at pick 33, MPJ at pick 34, the sweet spot was first round and top 40. So we've seen that seismic sort of shift into day one. 2021, pretty similar deal. Elijah Moore goes early round two, but you get your... Chase Waddle Smith go all top 12. Tony goes top 20. Rashad Bateman goes end of round one. A lot of people had those guys in their top six. And that's kind of, you know, been the sweet spot so far. Obviously, I would say that Chase Waddle and Smith are all hits already. And we'll see where the rest of the class goes from there. But Elijah Moore looks great. And yeah, I mean, you've seen that seismic shift, right? So will like 2022 be the same, right? It's very possible. Um, no guarantees, but 
the trio of Watson, Pickens, and Sky Moore. Could they outdo the round one guys? I think it's very possible. Um, but it feels like either just evals are getting a little bit better uh, combined with the position obviously is getting better as a whole. I think you say the 2020 class, obviously 2019, 2020. I mean, the last few have kind of eclipsed ones from like 2015-ish through 2018. 2014 was a really good class with Beckham, Evans, Watkins, Cooks, like Adams. That was a good class, right? But I think you're seeing it come back around cyclically. Um, so, you know, it, it's interesting to kind of watch 2022. Maybe you have been a little bit of an overreaction to 2021's class at the top where it was like, uh, these guys are probably not at the level of, of the Chase Waddle Smith trio, but, but you've also seen teams kind of be like prioritizing the way kind of running back has often looked with let's go cheap rather than pay the guy. That's the Tennessee Titans now, right? They're going that direction. I would say the Baltimore Ravens are also going that direction. Didn't d- decided we'd rather move Hollywood Brown than than sign him to an extension. So we could see that be kind of a seismic shift. Like it's wide receiver turning into running back just a little bit more if the classes stay deep at the position. We'll see. Um, twenty twenty three ha- is looking to be a pretty deeper one again. I don't know if it's going to be again. Make sure we're relative here to the Chase Waddle Smith trio. Like that's a trio that's going to be really tough to to top. And I don't think this this coming year will do that. It's not doing that for me just yet. We'll see. Still time to to be had for these guys in the fall, but I I it, wide receiver might move towards running back a little bit, right? And speaking of running back, right? Obviously we know about the shift to like okay, day 2 and day 3 guys are going to take more swings there rather than spend on a round one guy. But the 2017 class may never be topped. And so what I'm talking about with this is you get Leonard Fournette, uh, Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon, Alvin Kamara, Aaron Jones, Chris Carson, Kareem Hunt, Tariq Cohen, Marlon Mack, Austin Eckler was a UDFA. That's absolutely loaded as a group. I don't think we'll see that again potentially. However, might uh, potentially see something like that with 2023. We'll see. But again, you're seeing these, these we're not going to, top five top 10 at running back right even if they're special at their position Najee Harris many people considered like yeah this is a really 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 good player at the position still went in the 20s to Pittsburgh a lot of people thought Brees Hall might have even been better he ends up going in the second round right so there's got to be like it's going to take a lot for a first round running back to be a thing Bijan Robinson is definitely worth that this year I think and, and we'll be able to see that with another year of I think perceived dominance from him because he's so good in all facets of the game. He's a good receiver as well. He's very akin to, you know, a, a McCaffrey type, a Jamal Charles type. So I, I think we'll see that from him. Um, it's a tough task for the 2023 group. It looks very deep. Can they challenge 2017? We'll see. Um, speaking of unmatched and talking about the running back class of 17, like the 2017 Saints class, probably never to be replicated. Uh, you get Marshawn Lattimore, Ryan Ramchek, Marcus Williams, Alvin Kamara, Alex Anzalone, Al-Qadim Muhammad and Trey Hendrickson. That is the class. It's not even carried by a quarterback either, right? You have four studs in that class. Kadim Muhammad didn't even make the team, but has played a, a decent role, at least in his time with Indianapolis, now moving over to Chicago to, play, to stick with Matt Everflew, who kind of found a role for him. But like, come on, that is, that is, it's crazy to just kind of think about like as a whole, like, 
that Saints class probably never be replicated. And that's just something, again, you kind of look back at that at classes and you kind of realize like, yeah, two starters, if you get two starters and maybe a role player or two, that's really, really good. You're just not going to see a lot of classes if, if, if maybe five in your lifetime that can match that with its depth, right? Obviously, the Chiefs getting Mahomes is, is good, but like when you look at it without a quarterback and what they did, it is it is excellent. So I do think really quick um, to finish out I, I a few things as well, just kind of looking at production versus traits and a lot of people like, oh, traits fuel the production, right? Well, production can kind of come in a variety of ways. Maybe you're just, just downright better than the guy across from you every week and you don't have to be creative. So I just wanted to look at a few classes over over these past like kind of six years as we kind of talked about. Just at edge rusher, I think, is an interesting one to look at in 17. Miles Garrett had, obviously, both production and traits. Solomon Thomas was a lot more traits. Obviously, was bet on in, the, in that regard. Hassan Reddick, kind of the same way as traits to play, not even necessarily edge rusher, to play linebacker. Derek Barnett that year was all production. TJ Watt was definitely, you know, tested out of his mind athletically. Did have one year of production with 11 and a half sacks. Trey Hendrickson was obviously production, right? So there's a lot of, there's a little bit of divide there, right? With some, obviously, you know, you look at and be like, ah, production's important. It's huge. I agree. I do. It's not a guarantee. Derek Barnett was, you know, I believe pushed for, if not past SEC record for career sacks and just really hasn't done much outside of being a role, you know, kind of rotating in and out of a, of a unit that's loves to be very deep along the defensive line. So it's interesting. Like 2018, look at Bradley Chubb had some production. Josh Allen obviously had SEC production at Kentucky. Marcus Davenport was traits, right? Not to diverge too much from from edge rusher, but just two names. Like Rashad Penny was a lot of production. Josh Jackson, interception production, right? Whereas Jair had traits. Let's make it a little bit Packers here on this podcast for a second. Traits Jair versus production Josh Jackson. What won out? The traits did, right? Obviously, again, you can go back and forth with examples in this, and you're going to get a lot of different results. But I do think there's kind of a little bit of a divide. Obviously, if you get both, then you know, you're know you cooking with gas, of course, you, you would think. 2019, I want to go back to the receiver class. Nikhil Harry had two seasons of 1,000 yards. Production was there. The analytics community loved the dominator rating where he's commanding a lot of target share, right? Marquise Brown had good production in Oklahoma. McLaurin was a lot of traits, right? Not a lot of production. He sat behind Paris Campbell a little bit, who, you know, was had a little bit more production than him, and it didn't work out. Debo had never had a thousand yards. A lot of people were wondering if Brian Edwards, his teammate, was better than him. Clearly not the case, right? Debo had the traits. AJ Brown probably was a little bit more production than traits, and a lot of people were like, oh, could he just play the slot? And they kind of did that with Justin Jefferson. Be very careful about who you say is a slot. And who you say is a Z and an X. And I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But Metcalf had one season of over 600 yards. Had another of just in the 500s. Right? So, I mean, Deontay Johnson had one season, 1,278 yards. is a small school. People worry about small school production. Right? So, like, again, 2020, Jalen Rager had production. Right? And I, I, I know I keep coming back to receiver, but, like, it's just very interesting, right? You look at Rashawn Gary, who didn't have a lot of production. Like, Odafe Owe didn't have a lot of production, right? And he 
both go in the first round. Obviously, Gary went a lot higher, but you see these athletic projects with with a lot of traits that you're like, I'm not really worried about the stat sheet. Give me the guy I can mold and be like, I'm going to get you to do this one thing really, really well. Edge rusher really reflects that, I think. And not to go back to receiver, but I do think it is interesting to kind of look at like, I think size is becoming less of an issue. I do think, obviously, route running and release means so much still to a receiving position. If, if you don't have those things, I, you it's going to be a struggle for you. It, you're going to have to learn and, and really grow in those aspects to become an elite receiver. And that's where Justin Jefferson was so good because, again, his top of route manipulation, the way he stemmed, how good his release was, the footwork, how efficient he was as a player. But he also could do work after the catch, and he was, you know, all hands team, I'll bring it during contact, had that alpha mentality to him, right? I think explosiveness means a lot more, and that's heavily um, emphasized, I'll say, in my in my grading process. Jamar Chase had a lot of explosiveness. Obviously, Jalen Waddle has explosiveness. Traylon Burks has explosiveness, even for his size, right? So that's the other thing I think is just kind of like, look at yards after the catch as well. Like that has become more important as, as offenses kind of shifted to more quick game. Let your playmakers do things, space things out, right? A.J. Brown and Debo Samuel both averaged nine yards after the catch per reception as rookies, both of them. We saw that and we go, wow, that's something new. Can we get more of that? I implore you to take a look at Traylon Burks as a potential beneficiary of and kind of a model after this, though. Traylon Burks will be the most interesting case, I think, at receiver we've seen in some time because everything physically, production, doing it in the SEC, right? Like, that's important, you know? And, but again, release and route running, they're not good, but he's got explosiveness. He's got size. He can win in a variety of ways, even though he isn't a good route runner. Like, it's just going to be very interesting to see what he does. And so, oh, I'm going to save it, but I, I do think there's something else interesting. Um, one position in particular is that receiver. I think analytics makes sense to use. I don't think you should be scared of all this stuff. You know, analytics, just gathering information to make better educated guesses, Right. Dominator is just earning targets and producing. Breakout age. A lot of people talk about that. That's just producing when you're younger. That's Good players do that when they're younger. That's just a thing, right? Like that's that happens. So, and, and Ryan brought this up once when he was talking uh, a little bit pre-draft in, in one of his, obviously, many podcasts that he has done leading up to the draft, but he talked about this. 1,300 plus yards in the SEC since 2014. Production mattering in your over eval and production is definitely i think more tilted towards analytics a little bit now more than it ever has but since 2014 1300 plus yards in the sec devonta smith jamar chase justin jefferson jerry judy aj brown amari cooper jameson williams wandale robinson just names to kind of think about and put out there as we'll see about the two and everybody but jerry judy has been a hit so far with with again judy and the two rookies question marks we'll see right early declare means he's a good player means he's leaving early like that's obvious right and and not everybody has to necessarily do that but like normally that's what you're gonna see so i don't think we have to be necessarily afraid of the analytics stuff obviously you marry it with film a little bit film still runs hot i'd still obviously the overwhelming majority in my evals but again keep that tool in your belt in terms of scouting so i think we've learned a lot and i do think really quick obviously 
coverage linebackers, athletic linebackers, downhill pros, like all, the linebacker position. It's just, it is still very much lottery. It's very hard to fine-tune this position. You look at back in 18 with Roquan Smith, Tremaine Edmonds, Leighton Vander Esch, and Rashawn Evans. Evans was the downhill thumper. Didn't get a second contract with Tennessee. Leighton Vander Esch got hurt, so that's a bad example. But like Roquan and Edmonds, I think Roquan's been a good player. Um, has he been elite yet? Not really, but he's been he's been pretty good. Tremaine Edmonds was this kind of freak athlete, young player. Just really hasn't found his stride in Buffalo. Then you have Darius Leonard, who maybe people were like, nah, nah, doesn't have the athleticism, may not have the instincts, but he's been downright good coverage linebacker, and he's been good in all facets of the game. And didn't go. He was a small school guy, picked early on day two. Then you get Fred Warner, block deconstructor extraordinaire in round three. Goes to San Francisco, and I think is the best linebacker in the league. So... Very interesting. Then you look at, you know, Devin White versus Devin Bush. Devin White's been good, not been elite. He's elite in one one area coming downhill. He's really not been a good coverage backer. Devin Bush was kind of more labeled as the athletic coverage backer. Just really hasn't found it, right? So you get these coverage guys that are great athletes. Uh, Kenneth Murray, Patrick Queen, two guys in 2020 that were really lauded. Pat, Kenneth Murray can't find a run fit. Um, Patrick Queen just really hasn't found his stride either. A lot of people like looked at the instincts, look at his ability to close, look at his ability to read the quarterback's eyes, right? Whereas like guys like Jordan Brooks and Logan Wilson are kind of maybe a little bit more traditional, but are excellent processors that have played better than the two of the others that I mentioned in front of them. 2021, wild. Zayvon Collins is just oozing with athleticism. So is Jamin Davis, right? You got JOK, who's a little small, but he understands the position. He can play overhang. He's a weak side linebacker. Baron Browning was a great athlete. Nick Bolton was not a great athlete, but he, good processor, could dip under blocks, could take on blocks, even though he didn't have the length. Like 2021 is a fascinating case that we're going to look at further down the line once, you know, we've gotten our legs under us and we've kind of seen these guys through three seasons. 2022 is going to be another great litmus test. How good can Quay Walker be? He was very much, he's, he's very much athleticism, speed, power, all this great stuff. Let's mold this guy, right? Devin Lloyd, very much the instinctive player. You know, he didn't test well as an athlete, but has rushed off the edge, played some Sam linebacker, can play middle linebacker. Chad Muma, everybody's favorite processor, everybody's favorite traditional linebacker who, can, who figures things out. Leo Chennault, great athlete and, and very similar in the vein to Muma. Then you have Nicobe Dean, who's a little bit undersized, but just does everything for you. So it's going to be a great litmus test to where the linebacker position is is still just really difficult to figure out where the hits are. So very interesting thoughts and, and just kind of just put these out for you guys in, in terms of what I've learned and kind of what we still don't know is another good way to put it for this for this podcast. But that's really all I have for you guys today. I uh, hope you guys will be tuning in um, next week for Leap Show and for positional uh, previews leading up to the college football season. Until then, enjoy the numerous selections we have on the Back of the Podcast Network, and I will see you guys next week, hopefully with Mason as well.